Welcome to the Brainwave Podcast, presented by Windward Group Publishing and Media. I'm Gail Holnick, former radio show host turned novelist and travel book writer, and this is a show about creativity. Each week you'll hear interviews with people from many different creative fields, artists, designers, writers, filmmakers, chefs, architects, choreographers, composers. I'm interested in that charmed moment that leads to a work of art. Where did the idea come from? What did you do next? And what advice would you give others trying to unlock their own creative potential? Thanks for spending some time with me today. Please take a second to tap on the subscribe button on the app. And if you want the episode show notes, please go to windwardgroup.com. That's word with an O. Let's get started. My guest today is Sarah Humphreys, a 17-year-old author from Utah. That's Sarah with an H, and Humphreys is spelled H-U-M-P-H-E-R-Y-S. And her debut novel, Stone Cold, was published in January by Morgan James in New York. She's about half the age of the average novelist who is first traditionally published. Stone Cold is a YA fantasy novel. I first became aware of Sarah when I saw a video of her receiving the news that her book was to be published, and her excitement was something to see. She was just ecstatic. Now, the day that I spoke with her, she was dealing with a cold bug, but it was very nice of her to carry on with the interview nonetheless. Here is an excerpt from the first pages of Stone Cold. Prologue. Marina clutched her newborn niece as she skimmed down the hallway, her dress billowing out behind her. She wanted to run. She desperately wanted to run. But she couldn't with so many around her. It would draw too much attention. And for her, attention was a death sentence. Palace guards and various officials scrambled down the hallway to get to the Queen. Marina glanced back to the Queen's bedroom where she had been moments before. In the chaos, she had slipped into the room, stolen the newborn princess for whom nobody spared any attention, and silently snuck out. She overheard echoing voices in the hallway, a conversation between the king and whatever unlucky advisor happened to be in his vicinity. This situation is awfully inconvenient, the king stated. The queen has died. If I cannot remarry, it means I will have only two heirs. It's an old tradition, my king, one of the advisers explained. Not taking another wife is a gesture to the queen's family of origin. That was an excerpt from Stone Cold, and the author is Sarah Humphreys. I want to start by asking you uh, to tell us the story of Stone Cold, which I could do from, um, you know, various sources and so on, but I'm always leery about giving away too much. And I don't know what authors would consider to be a spoiler or not. So I'll ask you to tell us as much of the story as you want to tell. Okay, well, the story of Stone Cold is the story of a kingdom where everyone wears enchanted stones that take away emotion. That is their society. Um, They wear these gemstones, and if you wear them, you don't feel anything. Um, But there are some people that the stones don't work on, and those people are considered dangerous, and they're hunted down and executed. So the main character 
is the princess of this kingdom, and she happens to be one of those people that the stones don't work on. So she has to hide the fact that she can still feel emotion, and she's sort of antisocial, and she's just kind of hiding in the shadows, and she's just she needs to survive, basically. And it's her story dealing with all the shenanigans that can happen in a kingdom. There's like a war going on and, uh, and stuff like that, that she has to solve. And that's the story. And it's oh, a romance. And it's a romance too. It's a romance. Yeah. Oh, who does she have? So there's, so she's the lead character, obviously, but who's the, who's the big subplot. Okay. Well, uh, this isn't really a spoiler since it's like on, on the back of the cover, it's the summary. So, uh, but basically there's, there's, so there's a war and they are trying to solve the war by having a marriage alliance. And so her, so her love interests are her childhood friend, which I didn't realize was slightly cliche until later, but her childhood friend who is her personal guard. And then the person that she is supposed to marry, the prince of the other kingdom. So there's a love triangle there. Okay. It's a great premise. The idea that there that uh, you'd be hunted down if you felt or displayed emotion. Actually, there's a, there's a good there's a question I have. Is it is it just if they display emotion or just if they feel it? And is there some way that that if you can hide your emotions, they can still uh, monitor you or calibrate that? Well, well, she's. It's basically if she displays an emotion while wearing the stones, like like if she's wearing a stone that, that is supposed to negate happiness and she expresses happiness, then they assume, oh, you're still feeling emotions while wearing the stone, so you're you're going to get executed. I gotcha. We gotcha. <laughs> um, great premise, though. So when and where were you when you came up with this idea? Oh, boy. It was like... Two years ago, it was, it was it was fall of 2019. It was a long time ago, but uh, I was in my parents' room, laying on their bed, and we were like having some family discussion. And I I was daydreaming. I'm always daydreaming while while doing those things. So I I was thinking hey, I want a new book idea. And I was thinking, and I like dystopian sci-fi books. I like that a lot. And some of the ones that I like the most, like The Giver Delirium, have to do with the negating of emotions. Nobody can feel emotions in that society. And so I took that concept and put it in a medieval kingdom because I write medieval kingdoms. So most of my ideas have to do with me just taking tropes and plot lines from other books and shows that I really like and just putting them together <laughs> to make my own thing. And so I think it's, it's written into, or it's between the lines of what you've already said, but then you've written other books before this one. Uh, yeah. When did you first start? Uh, first start writing altogether was when I could hold a pencil in my hand. <laughs> but um, when I first started writing novels, like stuff, more than more than <laughs> 10 pages like short story-ish was when I was in middle school I think middle school I started when I was in grade one actually oh really yeah yeah and I, I write novels as well and back oh. in grade one and my mom my mother remembered this story more than I did but I don't think I had too many memories when I was six years old but we I do remember this we, they used to have a bathroom at the back of every classroom in in 
when I was in grade one and they built schools that way. And the idea basically was that six-year-olds wouldn't be able to hold it to get all the way down the hall and deal with things. So they had a bathroom at the back of the room and in the bathroom, there was a sink and for washing your hands. And there was a paper towel dispenser on the wall. And I used to, I used to steal the paper towels and sort of <laughs> take this. We all had, we had these notebooks and, you know, this is your spelling book and this is your math book and this is your, you know, science book. And so they were all, de- you, you couldn't just write and just use it for whatever you wanted, you know? So I would take the paper towels out of the bathroom and put them together and then use my crayons. And, and, and after I learned my letters and all that wrote a little story kind of. So, and I've asked her, she's like, did I get in trouble? Or she, she doesn't, didn't remember whether I got in trouble for that or not. But I think that's common for a lot of people who like to tell stories. It goes right back to when, when you're a little kid, but then some people maybe stopped doing that, but you and I, you carried on into, into middle school. And why was that? Why did writing stories and, and putting them down on paper and keeping them, there's a documentarian kind of thing to this too, keeping them um, appeal to you compared to any one of 30 or 40 other things you might have done? Well, I didn't do much in elementary school. It it was mostly just reading and writing. I've always loved reading. I've always loved stories in general, like telling stories and making up my own worlds and characters and stuff. I'm, I'm a fantasy writer. So just the idea of making my own reality and going on adventures and stuff, that's just been, oh, it's just so, it's, it, it brings me a lot of happiness doing that. So I kept doing that because life is boring sometimes. Like you don't like the monotony of just going to work or going to school every day. And sometimes you just want to write a character that does this really awesome sword fight or something. Did you, um, did you save all of your stuff from when you were in middle school? Uh, yeah, I did actually. It's, it's on Microsoft Word. The, the earlier stuff, like the, the paper, the little booklets, like it, your your paper towel things, but mine weren't paper towels. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Those little things uh, that I wrote, I was like, Susan had a cat. She lost a cat, but then she found it again. The end. <laughs> that was those short stories. I think my mom kept them. Yeah, it all begins somewhere, though, doesn't it? Um, do you have favorites? Uh, well, and I was going to say, did you have favorites? You probably have favorite other authors and, and so on. But who are some of them now? And has that changed over the years? Well, I I really like Brandon Sanderson a mm-hmm. lot. He's amazing. I, I used to not like him that much because in middle school, you're not going to read a book that's 500 plus pages long <laughs> so I was I was mostly into Percy Jackson Rick Riordan I think that's how you pronounce his name so he was awesome uh, but usually when you you go back and read my stories I was I was big on plagiarizing I, I really liked taking like <laughs> literal word for word sentences like like so you you go back I can read all my stories and it's like, oh, I was reading Percy Jackson while while writing this. I was I was reading Hungry Games while writing this. And then I <laughs> Sure. So, and I, yeah, I, I yeah. I liked Rick Riordan, Susan Collins, stuff like that. I think everybody develops through stages where they do uh that's right. And it's it's I mean, you're making a joke by calling it plagiarism. Let's call it um influences. You as you were growing as a writer and so on, you had influence. You were or as screenwriters like to do this all the time with uh, movies, it's homage. It's not really oh, pl- yeah. Yes, definitely. With iconic <laughs> scenes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, I had never heard of Brandon, Sa- Brandon Sanderson 
before, um, maybe a year or two ago, and someone mentioned to me that they had a new dog. It was a golden retriever, and they named it Cal. Uh, and I'm, you know, and people's dogs' names always refer to something. I mean, it comes from somewhere. And I'm thinking, what could that be, Cal? That she she pointed out to me that there was a character from that novel, and I really should read some, which I haven't gotten around to yet. So maybe at some point I will. Especially it seems he's recommended by lots of people. Oh yes, he's he's amazing. I love it. Now, how did you feel when you found out that your book Stone Cold was going to be published? It was very, very, very shocking (laughs) because I've talked to a whole lot of authors and all of them are like, okay, this is a little, this is a dramatic, um, a dramatization. I don't know how to pronounce it, a dramatization or something like that. Um, But it was like, yeah, the road was paved in blood and tears and popcorn kernels and 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 like send out 15 letters and and they're all rejections it's just all this stuff and so um being able to to actually get accepted by a publishing agent and and getting a contract and all this stuff i felt like like I'd gotten a genie and I'd gotten one of my wishes or something mm. because this was like a lifelong dream and it's so cool. And a whole lot of people who want to be authors never, never get published, like either self-publishing or traditionally published. So it was just amazing. I felt on top of the world for those couple weeks afterward. That's a great comparison to the genie and getting a wish. And some of my author listeners would be, I just know it, are, are thinking 15 15, try 1500, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. everywhere. And uh, well, and I think JK Rowling, there's a famous story that she oh, yeah, submitted. Yeah. I forgot yeah. the number, but I think it was 13. Yeah. Yeah. But then like Stephen King nailing a 12 inch spike through, through his rejection letters. <laughs> like he got a lot more. <laughs> I have heard of people who use them for wallpaper. It's just kind of, you know, put them all up on the wall all around the room and like, this is my know. writing office and then this is my decoration yeah yeah so how many how many letters did you send out uh, well I didn't I didn't get traditionally published the normal way per se because I actually went through a writing program uh, back in 2019 led by a New York Times bestselling author and she was able to take all of her students and basically teach them how to write books and at the end of the program we had the opportunity to you know um, pitch to publishing agents and so I pitched to I pitched to four of them three of them said yes and a yes isn't necessarily getting published and so I was like mm, I'm so close. I just, I just don't want to think that this is possible. I can't, I can't let myself hope. <laughs> but I, I said, I sent my book into uh, the one who wanted a full manuscript request, and he said yes. So I, I wasn't completely crushed with like piles and piles and piles of emails, but it was still really stressful not knowing what I would get. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's. I mean, you've chosen to go away that and a, 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 take a path that lots of people don't. They they like to write, but they can't quite face up to the putting it in front of somebody other than just whatever their twelfth grade lit teacher, whatever it may be. But they're putting it in front of somebody and waiting for the judgment. 
is, is that person going to say yes or no? Will they like it or won't they? And yet, and, and but you obviously have, have crossed that bridge. Does that bother you at all? Do you think about how other people will receive your material or is it just, it's out there and what happens happens? Oh yes. I definitely worry about what other people think about my books. I mean, it's, it's awesome that, that a publisher thought that it would sell well. So they wanted to publish it. But still, I, I'm waiting for that inevitable one-star review that's like, this book is the worst book I've ever read. It's, I want to burn it in my garage. It's that bad. Like, someone always has one-star reviews like that. And it's just really stressful because I don't want people to not like my book because I worked really hard on it. It's my soul. I know. I know. I know the feeling. And I know the feeling about getting the one star reviews as well. And what's the worst is if they don't say anything like I wanted to burn it in my garage or yeah. I could have written this. My my 12 year old niece could have written yeah. this. And it's, just, it's just just the rating. But there's no comment yeah. of any kind. It's like, OK, what was it? You know, why? Why don't you like it? Yeah. It's, it's like for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but uh, I'm sure there are, are lots of others that have gone the other way as well so the, the, the ones that are good are the one and you're you're speaking to the reader that's your reader so the one who gives you this way I look at it the one who gives you a one-star review that's just that's not my reader that's not my group but somebody who does like it then okay that's that's the person I wrote it for because they appreciate it yeah uh, that's been that's been really nice getting good reviews like that and <laughs> does it um having done this one now does it scratch an itch for you do you kind of feel like you've that's what you wanted to do or or does it just stoke the fire I mean are there going to be more well I definitely want there to be more books and 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 publish more because I still have a whole lot of more ideas I mean authors are always coming up with more ideas and more projects and stuff that they want to work on on. So it'll be really cool if I could if I could publish the sequel to this one that is just published, and then work on some more projects. Like I am ready if I if I <laughs> if I was able to cross that bridge that a whole lot of people weren't able to. Then let's do this. I'm gonna milk it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is and is there a sequel? And is it on paper or is it in your mind on paper? There, I'm dating myself, aren't I? Um, <laughs> is it is it on the screen <laughs> or is it uh, in your mind so far? Some of it is on the screen. Um, I, I've written seven chapters so far. Okay. Oh, well, that's great. When I do these interviews, and this, this show, by the way, covers authors. We, I do talk to authors, but I've also talked to a lot of painters and architects and photographers and just anybody who is a creative professional and is in the creative life. And, and uh, that's a big part of who they are. Uh, and I like to wrap them up when I'm getting toward the end by asking for some advice. So, uh, and I'm not going to make it age related because I could say, well, you know, what advice would you give the 10 year old author who's coming along behind you? But I think the kind of advice you can give, whether it's for young ones or whether it's for uh, for 65-year-old people who have been wanting to write a novel since they were in middle school. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to write a novel and have it be published as you are? Okay, let's see. I think it's always really helpful to just keep on writing. Like the, the industry is really, really rough on authors, pretty much the entire creative industry is all rough on 
on authors, screenwriters, artists, everyone is like, oh, it's it's not a very lucrative career. It's very risky. You're not going to be able to do this. So so you're going to come across a lot of people who are just very skeptical about your abilities and, and, would, and would want you to do something more realistic. But I think my advice is to just, if if you love doing this, then just keep on doing it. And the more you keep on writing or, or drawing or, or whatever your hobby is, you're, you're going to get better at it and you're going to have more practice and more experience. And you know what? You don't have to send out letters to traditionally publish. You can self-publish through Amazon. And so there, there are more outlets and you can go through that and you can make money off of that too. So that's, that's my advice. Are you um, planning this as a career or are you thinking, do you have another career in mind? Oh, I really hope I could do this as a career. I, I really, really, really hope it would be awesome. But I <laughs> I could always, you know, go into science or biology or something like that or just make another career out of out of my life. But I, it would be it would be really awesome if I could if I could just write and make money off of that. Well, good luck to you, Sarah. And thank you very much for talking with me today. Yeah, no problem. Sarah Humphrey's book is called Stone Cold, and it's a fantasy romance for YA ages 12 to 18. You can find it on Amazon and in other bookstores. Her advice, if you love writing, keep on doing it, gets right to the heart of why artists and writers should do what they do, not because you become a millionaire from it, not because James Patterson or Margaret Atwood or J.K. Rowling is your hero, not because you love to read all the time, and not because you can't think of anything else to do. That way lies burnout and disappointment. Write because you love it, because it's what you do. Next time on the Brainway podcast, we'll meet Kazuki Takazawa, a bipolar glass artist from California. And this time, I leave you with a quote from American cellist Yo-Yo Ma. Passion is one great force that unleashes creativity, because if you're passionate about something, then you're more willing to take risks. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found it helpful. If you did, please mention it to a few friends or pass it along on social media and tag us if you do. And please tap the subscribe button on your podcast app and take a minute to leave a ranking or review. You might also like the backlist available at Windward Group Publishing and Media. And that's www.windwardgroup.com slash brainwavepodcast. And Windward is spelled W-I-N-D-W-O-R-D. You'll also find the show notes for today's episode there too. If you'd like to connect, you can find us on Facebook at Windward Group Publishing and Media, on Twitter at Windward Publish, and on Instagram at Windward PNM. I'm Gail Hulnick. Please join us next time.